Welcome to The Nest Podcast, a place where we have down-to-earth, uplifting conversations about women's health, healing, our inherent feminine wisdom, and the magic that happens when we decide to be the hero of our life and not the victim of it. Here we'll explore a wide range of topics, from holistic nutrition, metabolic health, and balancing your hormones, to mind-body medicine and how intuition, spirituality, and consciousness are revolutionizing health and healing. On this episode, my husband Mark is back as my guest co-host as we continue with part two of our discussion on marriage, money, and manifesting. We revisit power dynamics and relationships and do a deep dive into money, discussing our true currency. We talk about our money blocks and how we moved beyond them to create more abundance and peace in our marriage. We also discuss manifesting and what we believe to be true about co-creating with the divine and how it's possible to shape our reality. This is a juicy episode, so sit back, open your heart and mind, and get ready for a dose of inspiration to motivate you on your healing journey. Let's dive in. Okay, here we are. We're back for round two. Hey, babe, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be back for round two. So in part one, we talked about marriage, really. We talked a little bit about manifesting, and we're going to get back into the topic of manifesting today in a much bigger way. But in the first part of our discussion, we mainly shared our story of how we met, both of us coming Mm -hmm. from divorce and how I was hesitant to get married again. And, you know, how we went on this whole journey of like, well, what is marriage and really deciding for ourselves what we wanted it to be. Yeah. So we shared that. So if you haven't listened to part one of this discussion, I invite you to go back and, and listen to that. In that discussion, we also talked about power dynamics um, within relationships. And, you know, I gave this framework or this like analogy of like being, everyone comes into the world being a one, like a sovereign individual. And, you know, through power dynamics and relationships, we can give our one away or we could take someone else's one. And that's really how codependency is created. And so giving our power away or assuming that we have power over somebody else by taking their one. So we discussed that. And again, you can go back and listen to that more in part one. But what we really just to kind of summarize everything we're talking about for us, our lived experience, experiencing like a healthy relationship is having a common vision, creating something together. Like marriage is about coming together, having a common vision and creating something together. And that doesn't mean that we both don't have our own personal goals and vision because we do. I very much have my own um, vision of for myself and you have one for yourself, but there is uh, an overlap with those two visions and where those overlap, that is what we're working toward together. And then, yeah, and the power dynamics being like, we're both ones, we're both whole and complete people in and of ourselves. And we're choosing to then come together. There is none of this, like you complete me, <laughs> crap from <laughs> from Jerry Maguire. You are very much, and I'm very much a complete and whole person on our own. And um, we're two sovereign individuals coming together. And there isn't a power struggle. This is this isn't about you. I talked a bit about you know from previous relationships. This idea of like really fighting against the idea of being a submissive wife, and or being submissive in a relationship. And you know, and how I took my power back. So now in our marriage, I feel very much like we're two sovereign individuals. You in no way want to have power over me or nor I you. Um, Of course, we have disagreements and we work towards, you know, resolving our conflict. 
in a way that's loving and kind. But I think I actually want to talk a little bit more about this just really quickly before we go into um, money and manifesting, because I do think it's all related. If you think of like money, sex, and power and second chakra, it's all, it's all about that. Like power is such a huge part of this discussion. And mm-hmm. it's funny because Odin and I, like our son, Odin and I, we, um, we just went to see the Barbie movie. You haven't seen it yet, Mark, but yeah, it's not, it's not high on my list, but (laughs) potentially depending on how you think about it. Um, We haven't had this discussion. Actually, I was discussing it with Marissa this morning and again yesterday because we went, we just saw the movie yesterday. So it's up top. It's top of mind. Anyways, it was, it was interesting. It was, I know there's going to be people listening to this uh, who have no idea what I'm talking about. It's this new movie that's come out. It's called Barbie. It's about Barbie and Ken. Anyways, it's all, it's supposed to be about female empowerment and Barbie, like somehow having a role in that. However, I have some issues with points that it raised because one of the things that was very much portrayed, and I won't, this isn't a movie review, so I'm not going to go into this in huge detail, but one of the things, and, and if you want to go see it, please go see it. However, it's not necessary. But the point that I want to make from it is that there was a point in the movie where in order for Barbie and the women in the movie to take their power back, they had to outsmart or manipulate the men. They had to like make the Kens turn on each other. They had to like manipulate them and have them turn on each other and be distracted by turning on each other. And that's how the women went and got their power back. And watching this, like sitting in the theater and watching this with my nine-year-old son and my friend and her girls, I was really disturbed by that. Because, you know, having, I did my master's degree and, and um, my master's thesis was on reconciliation. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm watching this play out, these dynamics play out on the screen. And, you know, some people may be like, yeah, women's lib and taking our power back. And I'm like, I'm all about women taking their power back. But there's, there was this unspoken narrative that was very much in order to take your power back, you have to take it from somebody versus just claiming your power. Like if we think about this idea of like, you know, the women were a zero in the movie and they wanted to take their one back and blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, when in order to do that, you have to somehow like fight against Ken or you have to like outsmart or manipulate Ken. I think there's a misunderstanding that in order for someone to take their power back and be sovereign, that you have to take it from somebody else. Like you have to take your power back from somebody instead of realizing that the power lies within you all along and the power struggle is not external. So does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying, Mark? This sounds like a very deep movie now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I a hundred percent see that. And my cynical mind immediately goes to how Hollywood likes to indoctrinate people, and like teach them, you know, how society should act in, in, in order to, for things to work out and that sort of thing and kind of portray what's happening in the world. But I mean, it's, it's, yeah. It was just so strange because in this, again, this isn't a movie review and I will relate this back to our topic and why I brought this up, but it was this idea that in order for the women to take their power back, they had to like divide and to conquer like divide the men so they could conquer them. And I'm like, that is not healthy conflict resolution 
nor is it teaching healthy power dynamics. And also within the movie, um, there was not one example of a healthy relationship, romantic relationship between Mm. a man and a woman. And relating this back to marriage and why I'm even bringing up the Barbie movie to begin with is I think there is a very, there's a shortage. (laughs) There's a shortage. There's a, you know, a huge shortage of, um, of examples out there of what it looks like to be two sovereign individuals in, in a marriage where, you know, and, and it doesn't, there doesn't have to be this power struggle. Why does there have to be this power struggle between the sexes? I understand. Maybe maybe it makes for a boring movie. (laughs) Yeah, perhaps, but uh, like, listen, I'm not, I'm not um, denying that there have been, um, you know, things in our past and even in our present where women are not treated fairly or equally and, or in, in men too, in at times, I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. What I'm saying is going about it by trying to create greater conflict or shame in another person or in another group mm. of people in order to gain power. That is not because I think there's that that's not the way forward because the perception then is that power is something that is outside of you and we need to claim it and take it back. And the misconception is that the power is outside and everyone's fighting over this external piece of the pie when actually there is no pie and the, the source of your powers within. (laughs) It it also speaks to abundance, not having a limit. So if you're having yeah. to take it from someone else, that's that's insinuating that there's a limited supply of what you're searching for. Whereas exactly. if you're able to do it all yourself and that other person was able to do it all themselves and everyone was winning, there's a lot of room for everyone to win too. It's just, it, it seems that in society, especially people want what other people have and they, they look externally and that, that ends up leaving them in the dust regardless. And I think we're going to get into that a bit more in terms of how you face the world and, and your and how you interact and then how the things that you actually want can come to you. Yeah. But just going back to the power before we get into like the scarcity, I, I understand what you're saying and that like there can be this perception when it comes to power, there's a scarcity of it. And therefore mm-hmm. I have to claim dominion over somebody or some group of people or, you know, a person in my life in order to feel powerful, but that's false. And that's false power because it can be taken away. Whereas to be truly empowered is to understand that the power lies within me and no one can take that away. And that's what it means to be a sovereign individual and that I can decide and I can, you know, like I can choose and verse, you know, you know what I mean? Versus feeling like in order to feel powerful, I have to then claim dominion over someone or something outside of me. So I think if it's very much relevant to our discussion mm-hmm. um, and you kind of already started to bring it in with regards to scarcity and abundance, um, you know, and believing that we need to get out there and get our piece of the pie um, when really like there, there is no pie <laughs> like you all, or, or you put it another way. We all have our own damn pie. Like you have your pie. I have my pie. No one can take my pie. The, the fallacy and the misconception is that there's a limited amount and that therefore we have to fight over what there is. And that's, mm-hmm. that's false. So when it comes to just dialing this back and like 
taking it back to marriage and dynamics, I find it sad that there are not more loving, more sovereign examples of what it means to be in an equal partnership out there modeled for our children and we'll just and for people in general, even so much that I just want to say this and then we can move on. And, and this is nothing new. This isn't like the Barbie movies just like put this out there. This is something that's been happening, you know, for a very long time. Even so much is like, if you look at sitcoms, like I felt really sad as a mother of a young boy sitting and watching that movie and how men were portrayed in that movie because they were portrayed just for those of you who haven't seen it or won't go see it. I'll tell you, Ken or all the Kens were portrayed as dumb. <laughs> really, they were portrayed as useless and dumb and they just kind of mess everything up. And so we just need to get them out of the way. Um, and you know, there was the discussion around the toxic patriarchy, which I do think that the patriarchy is uh, like, there's, you know, there is this whole discussion around toxic patriarchy, which I think is really important. But what we don't see represented is the divine masculine and the divine feminine, both in their power. And I think that's my point. And that's what I believe a healthy marriage to be. Um, and again, I'm talking specifically about a heterosexual couple. We're talking about that in that context, because that's what we are. And yeah, just seeing that play out as like a divine masculine, like what does it look like for a man to be in his power, healthy, like be in his power in a healthy way, like internally sourced, being empowered. And what does it look like for a woman to be in her power in a healthy way? And what does it look like for those two individuals to come together and create something? And, you know, if you look at pop culture, and you look at um, like sitcoms and things like that. Like I think about a lot of the sitcoms, the dads are always made to be the, the butt of the joke. They're always made to be the fool, right? Like I think of, what was it? Like Ted Bundy, what was it? Like Married with Children. I feel like that's kind of like where it started or even before that. And they were like just made out to be these like horrible bigot men who were just like ridiculous. And then it got into Tim the Tool Man. What was that? Do you, what was that? sitcom yeah, yeah, yeah. home improvement I'm, or something home improvement you everybody loves raymond the simpsons with homer yeah <laughs> it's just like you can oh, there's countless even um bill cosby which i don't even want to bring that up because there's like so many things wrong with that and yeah. um well, things that he bill, has done bill, but, is, bill is at least a doctor in his in his uh but he was show. still made to be the fool i'm not talking about the man and we're talking about the sitcom. There's a whole bunch of other things that I won't get into about that man and things that he's done. But I'm just saying, as far as like the sitcoms, the popular sitcoms that were out there and how fathers or, you know, marriages were portrayed, a lot of them are, you know, the dad is kind of the joke. And I think that's really sad. And that was very much so, that was very much portrayed in the Barbie movie. So I find that sad. And I think, you know, we need more examples of what it looks like to have healthy power dynamics within relationships. I feel like I'm talking a lot. Is there anything you want to say about that before we move on? No, I, I think it's, um, it, it's interesting to see what's out there in terms of like media and movies and you know, teaching and schools and that sort of thing for our younger generation and what they can take on as models. Like, like how do you model divine feminine and, and masculine role models and how do you find them and, and like make sure that your kids understand like, you know, as a boy who's going to be a man, like, what does that mean? And what are the traits that are important? 
and you know like having better role models and things that they're watching that would you know empower them in the right in the right direction i think that's important totally um, and it's it's a, it's a challenge in today's world because as you commented like they've created conflict in this back and forth and power dynamic and it becomes exciting for a movie you know potentially that's what people want to see and watch because that's what they're used to but it's also not healthy so yeah. it's also pushing that on to the next generation or people watching so it just felt think, really angry <laughs> it just yeah, felt it was, really angry and small small adjustment it was al bundy not ted bundy ted bundy was a ah. serial killer al oh bundy gosh was, <laughs> so he he also was thanks for correcting that i didn't yeah i was not trying i knew to where you were going with it yeah and then there was bud the useless boy child that they had in the, in the show oh lord anyways okay well yeah. thank you for that correction i did not mean to <laughs> reference a serial killer yeah. i was yeah. referencing a sitcom from the 80s was it the 80s i think it was the 80s or 90s 80s and 90s 90s yeah. probably all right well let's let's move on from that but yeah so we're talking about marriage and our our definition of marriage is coming together as two sovereign individuals with a common vision where the power dynamics are equal, right? Like, cause mm-hmm. we're sourcing our power and love from within versus externally. So all of that said, let's, let's get back into manifesting and this idea of, you know, money, sex, and power and manifesting abundance and all of that. So this is a subject that Mark and I come like love. We totally geek out on, <laughs> We, you know, we're not quote unquote experts again. Like we're not out there teaching uh, on this yet, though we may at some point. This is a subject that we love to spend time on. Like this is like a hobby that we share. Reading about this, um, you know, watching films, documentaries, doing, we've done a few courses on this together. We share a love for quantum Uh, like the quantum and like the quantum field and metaphysics. And so this is something that we have come together on and we explore together. Yeah. And it's interesting because, I mean, we both have a science background. I'm more, as we discussed, analytical and and kind of technical and you're more um, emotional and and like kind of like, but it's interesting because those two worlds collide perfectly Yes. Well, they less collide, but more um, connect on on the on the quantum scale. So, like quantum physics and like some of the theoretical stuff that has been in our scientific ethos for decades and centuries, even are now coming closer and closer to be scientifically proven. Mm-hmm. And now there's some really interesting science around it. And then what we're diving into a bit more is about about the human mind and its mindset and consciousness, which is all related as well, which it's all related. Uh, let's don't, start... get me, don't get me started. We only... <laughs> I know we're going to, we're going to go down the rabbit hole, but let's start with yeah. money, you know, cause money as a topic within marriage is, I think it's a big, it's a big topic and we're not going to address every single little thing about that. Um, that's not the purpose of this conversation, but let's just kind of dive into the topic of money. And I think the best place to start is perhaps where we kind of like started coming together on money as a couple Mm -hmm. and that discussion around money, like how it kind of, I guess, galvanized and it, that it it started to galvanize and we started to really come together on working together with money um, by discussing our limiting beliefs and realizing like where we were different 
and we have different backgrounds. We have different people, like different perceptions. And that could, as it does in many relationships. And I, I would say that's kind of how it started for us. It, it, it was, it was, it created some conflict and in moving through that conflict, we have come together and now it's fun talking about yeah. money together and working together in that way, but it wasn't that way always. And so again, second chakra, you know, money, sex, and power money. And we're going to get into like what money represents um, and the energetics of it in a minute, but let's just chat about our limiting beliefs around money. I'll start and then you can uh, jump in, but okay, I would say I never really thought about money really. Um, it was never really a motivating factor necessarily for me growing up in my like teens, early twenties. It wasn't something I remember my parents really talking about. Like when, a, when a lot of people talk about their money story or their relationship with money, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll talk about having memories of their parents arguing about money or there never being enough money, or I don't have I don't remember my parents ever arguing about money. I do, however, have a few memories that help shape my perception of money and create some limiting beliefs around it. And one was when I was in grade five, being on the playground. I remember this boy that I had a crush on called me a rich bitch. And I remember not a, I had no idea what that meant. I was like nine. <laughs> I had no idea what that meant. I just remember being like, I feeling really shameful. And, you know, my family, uh, my parents were working really hard and building wealth for themselves. And I just remember this child in our community calling me a rich bitch and being really confused by that. And seeing, you know, kind of in external or extended family, just seeing kind of money as a source of conflict. And so I started to internalize this idea that money causes conflict. And if you have money, people won't like you. So that was kind of the beginning of a limiting belief that was forming there. And then fast forward, um, I'm 18 years old, and I leave Nova Scotia, small town Nova Scotia, and I go to England to go to school for my first year of university. And my parents gave me a credit card so that I could, you know, buy myself whatever, like food, whatever, plane tickets to come home. And I had no idea <laughs> what I had no idea about credit cards. Now that may, probably makes me sound really ignorant, but I will say at 18, I didn't care. I was just so excited. I was going off to school and blah, blah, blah. Like I wasn't ever really interested in finances uh, or accounting or anything like that. And I was quite like, I was such a novice. So anyways, I go off to school and I have this credit card and I just kind of saw it as like free money. I didn't really understand how credit cards worked. And I, I think I like ran up a bill of like two grand or something like that. And I just remember coming back home and my, my dad got really angry with me and because uh, I would just go to Topshop and go shopping and like go with my friends and like whatever. And this is great. I had this thing that would just like, I could just use it and pay for things. And so I, you know, I felt really shameful and like stupid 
uh, when my dad got after me because he was just like, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you paying off your card? Like, you should be paying every month and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't know. Now, I'm not claiming my ignorance as an excuse. I'm just explaining the situation. And I immediately internalized that I was just really bad with money. Like, I, I'm stupid when it comes to money and I'm really bad with money. I'm irresponsible. Those were kind of like the limiting beliefs that I began to internalize. So, and it's interesting, like I, there's more I can talk about, but it was this, you know, so those are two kind of limiting beliefs, like major ones was that money causes conflict and that I'm just no good with it. And then I remember there was, um, well, actually, you know what, I'm going to stop there and I'll circle back to what I was going to say in a minute. I'm going to hand it over to you for your feedback and then for you to share. Yeah, I think. Well, for those that don't, for those of you who don't know me that well, I um, went through school, had a science degree, and then business school, and then got my CPA. So very, very much like math-minded, financial-minded, up and, and everything, and thinking that you know because I'm working with money and and have all the theoretical stuff down, that you know obviously I'm really great with it. But what what came to me as a limiting belief was actually the the limit itself. So. I always went into a job and said, you know, this is, this is the market pay for this role. This is how much I'm going to make. And then that was my contract. And that always seemed to be the case. And I was really bad at negotiating my own contract and my own setup. So for me with money, I was good at managing it. But then in terms of bringing it in, you know, I didn't realize that, you know, you could probably ask for more or you could look for better opportunities or you know, and we're going to talk a bit more about like creating additional abundance and what that means. So I think that was kind of my challenge was just kind of just seeing that it's not black and white and this is all that you can earn and this is how it works and that's it. Mm. There's like multiple ways in which currency and money flow. And it's, and it's not always with cash dollars, like abundance can come, come about in different ways as well. So I think, I think that was kind of the learning point for me. Um, and the challenges that I had started with and still working on, obviously. And so how that was showing up in our marriage and how it was creating conflict for us was for me with my limiting beliefs, it led to avoidance. And it also led to me going back to the power dynamics. It led to me being a zero and I was doing this to myself. So let me explain. So when I, this is a while ago, like a long time ago, like over 10 years ago, maybe 13, 14 years ago. I remember watching an episode of Oprah and there was this woman who her husband had passed away and she had no idea what was going on with their financial situation. So while he was alive, he did all of the finances. He took care of everything. She would spend money and she would, you know, buy groceries, go shopping, blah, blah, like do the things, run the household. But he did all the money things. She didn't know where anything was. She didn't have her own bank account. She like, you know, everything, he took care of everything. And then there was another woman, I think it was on the same show, where it was kind of the same situation, except the husband hadn't died. He like took off and like took everything and she was left with nothing. And I think there are a couple other examples. But anyways, the point was that it was meant to be a show about empowering women financially and like the take-home messages were, were like you should have your own bank account and you should be in charge of your money and I think Susie Orman was on there and it was like this whole thing of like empowering women around money 
And I just remember watching these women and thinking, oh my God, how could anyone do that? Like, how could anyone get themselves in that situation? Well, because of my limiting beliefs and that leading to avoidance, like avoidance of money because I'm afraid it will cause conflict or avoidance of money because they think I'm no good at it and I found it intimidating, that led to me in our marriage, I just let you handle it all because you're the chartered accountant. This is what you do. You help multi-million dollar businesses. <laughs> so like running our family, family finances, like again, if we go back to how we would like split things up, it's like, well, I'm really good at cooking or you're really good at this or like whatever it might be. It was, we were delegating and it was like, well, I would just delegate all the finance stuff to you because that's what you're good at. And that's what you like doing. This is your job. What that led to was me, I like, I got to a point where I didn't, I don't like it. I didn't have any of the passwords. I didn't know how much money was coming in and out, all of these things. I woke up one day and I realized that I was one of these women. And obviously that was never my intention. I didn't realize that I was avoiding and it was the, you know, trauma response, like, and, you know, feeling like, really scared about it that had led to the avoidance and the avoidant behavior. Um, but realizing that was a huge wake up call for me in me taking my one back. And it's not that you, you took my one. I just offered it away. I was like, here, you do it. You take this. And it led to you saying like, I want you to be actively involved. And because like I was just avoiding it and that wasn't what you had wanted, but it was creating conflict in our marriage. So that's how my limiting beliefs are playing out in creating conflict. Do you want to speak to how yours were? I think just speaking on the on the negotiation of salaries and, and roles and stuff, you know, when you live in a big city and you're applying for a certain type of role for a certain size of company, there's kind of a salary range that's just set. And it, and it comes about because there's a market for people to work in those roles. So I, I had worked in Toronto, I'd, you know, done all this stuff and that was kind of what I was understood as how how it worked and then with more experience by the time I get to 10 years of experience then I'm in this bracket and yada yada but that limiting belief isn't necessarily true and moving back to Turks and Caicos where we are now like that sort of structure isn't always the same and it realized to me that the negotiation is your value that you're adding to that person like it's a it's a one-on-one -on -one negotiation and, and and figuring out what the value is that you're adding to what they're doing and then valuing yourself so you know if you're if you're in the wrong role then you're doing the wrong job you're not going to add as much value so it's it's finding what you're good and passionate about so that you can you know provide that extra value and be a good fit but then also recognizing what your value is and, and making sure that you're remunerated for it so that was kind of I think my learning curve on that side of things to speak to kind of us coming together in our family dynamics. You know, I, I was more than happy to kind of understand all the bank accounts and where everything's going, but it, it didn't make sense because, you know, half of the stuff you were dealing with was involving the money as well. So it's kind of like, you know, if we're buying groceries or booking trips or all that sort of stuff, we do it together, but you'd be doing the other half of it. And if we didn't look at the big picture together, you wouldn't realize that, hey, you know, we could save quite a bit of money on groceries if we did this. And, you know, like those are like some of the tweaks we did in terms of managing and, and taking care of our money. But those decisions and, and 
working together on it wouldn't have happened unless you like re-engaged with that whole financial side. And it doesn't yeah. mean that you then have to create spreadsheets and income statements and like do all that stuff. I mean, I'm happy to do that part of it, but I think you, you cut yourself short because you have a, a really good business mind. And when we talk as a family as to what we want to do and accomplish, it's good to have two people to come together and brainstorm. Yeah. So like really what we realized was that in order to truly come together and create the vision, we both had to be involved in every aspect of it. And obviously the financial part of it was a huge part of it. And so, yeah, we had to come together on everything. And just to summarize, like what I hear you saying with your limiting beliefs around money and how they were affecting you is it was limiting. It was limiting what was, what you believe to be possible for yourself around your earning, um, et cetera. And then also undervaluing yourself. We through our own exploration and personal growth came to like, we created this awareness and came to the realization that these were the limiting beliefs that we had. And we both set forth to heal them and come together on it. What was interesting is through that process and going through that journey together and sharing, um, you know, our insights and like how we were growing, we came to realize that we actually do, we came to have a whole new understanding of money, first of all, and the energetics of money and like the metaphysics around it and abundance. But also we came to the understanding that what we do is very similar. So mm -hmm. I'm going to try to explain this in a way that makes sense. But you and I remember I was writing, it was a course that I had created at the time called the priority playbook. And I was talking about our true currency being our time, energy, and attention. And you and I were having this like discussion about like managing currency. And again, like currency, like being our energy and managing our energy, like, and where does our energy go? Where do we invest our energy? And we invest our energy, like, you know, where are we spending our time? What am I giving my attention to? Uh, what is the other time, energy and attention? So like, where am I putting those things? What am I investing in? And you and I, like, we were having this discussion and we began to see the parallels because money is actually made up and money is a representation of currency, right? Mm -hmm. Energy. And energy is, you know, like that's our currency and it's represented by like where, what we invest in, in our time, energy, and attention. Does that make sense? Maybe you could explain it a little bit better than me. So Mark, could you explain a little bit about how, like why money is made up and like how, like what money is? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a deep history in, in currency and, and, and uh and value and like the current the current day cash like a u.s dollar you know it has in god we trust so there's a level of trust with the currency that everyone applies a value to so then you interchange that value and like going back a bit it used to be people would barter for trade um if you grew chickens or if you you know whatever your good and trade was there was a value associated with it and initially you would just trade goods so vegetables for chickens and whatever for food or for housing or for labor. But then So you, you would know, trade bank. something of value, like a chicken yeah. or whatever, and you would barter that and trade it for something else of value, like bricks. Right. Right. And then so, so the value was like evident. 
And then money at some point came, became a stand-in for that. Yeah, it was basically an IOU from, the, from a bank. And they would say, you know, you've, you've got these goods. Here's the currency that you can apply to it. And then that's, that represents that value. So like, for example, before there was cash in banks or outside of the banking system, the salt trade used to be a massive trade. And here in Turks and Caicos, it's relevant because it used to be one of the main manufacturers of sea salt. And sea salt had a huge value, but it was also a massive commodity where there was a value attributed to salt. So you could trade a pound of salt for, you know, whatever, three pounds of meat. But the people that worked in the salt industry, sometimes they got paid in salt. And that's actually where the word salary comes from, is that yeah. it was a representation of their time and, and effort that they put into mining that salt. They got back in the form of salary, so that they're saltery or whatever. So it's kind of, if you, if you go back through the history, you can kind of see how your worth and your energetics and like the power and value that you've added has like a currency to it. And then how you manage and, and, and focus on it in the current day still has the same impact. There's nothing changed other than it's turned into a paper representation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so fascinating to me. So we were having this discussion and we were talking about, you know, managing our money. And I was had, you know, was creating this course where I was teaching women how to manage their currency and their true currency, meaning being their time, energy, and attention. And we had this, or I had this realization that it's all the same. It's all the same thing. And there was this woman, I remember listening to her and her husband, they're talking about their money story. And she was saying, and she used this phrase and it just really stood out to me and it really I'm hoping I can convey like what it meant to me but she was saying that she similar to me was avoidant when it came to money just like didn't you know money was a source of conflict whatever it be whatever her reasons were she was avoidant when it came to money until she decided that her and her husband like they were going to both really get involved and they were going to take exquisite care of their money and it was just the way that she spoke about her money and her taking exquisite, like there's that word, like exquisite. I just think of like luxurious and it's just like this, I love the word, but she took exquisite care of her money. And I was thinking, isn't, it was just, it hit me. And I'm like, I teach women to take exquisite care of their currency, their time, their energy, and their attention, like by working on like root cause of illness you know, because through like self-care and like managing their time exquisitely so that they have time to take care of themselves so that they have time to, you know, do all the things that they need to be healthy, happy, and whole by managing their time, their energy, and their attention. And I'm like, money is a big part of that because it's our current, like it's what we use as currency. It's a representative of time, energy, and attention in yeah. many ways. And so I realized that my avoidant behavior was completely misaligned with what I was saying was so important to me, because if I really believed that my currency, my time, energy, and attention was of such value, then I should also be taking exquisite care of my money, just as I'm taking exquisite care of my time management and where am I, like, who am I spending my time with and where am I putting my attention and so the energy, like what am, where am I investing my energy? 
and money is a representation of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's it's super powerful. And it, it reminds me of a conversation we had as well that I think brings this point to a head. So we had talked about, I say friendships, but people that you know we interact with day to day, family, everything like that, and how there's people that are abundant. So they're they're in power of what makes them happy, what drives them, they're getting involved with what they're passionate about, like they're energized, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have people that we know that, you know, maybe can't get out of their own way or having difficulties or, you know, some sort of trauma that, you know, blocks them and their energy is low. And we made the comment, or I made the comment, I said, it'd be an interesting social experiment if you took everyone's wealth away, like wealth in the terms of the what we're talking about, like money and houses and whatever, plunk them on the island, maybe West Caicos, there's nothing over there. <laughs> and to watch how each of those families interact and, and what would come of those people in say 10 years, which mm-hmm. ones would have then built something more amazing or whatever from nothing versus done nothing and like sat in the corner kind of thing. So it was, it was interesting to see that people that are taking care of their health are abundant minded and focusing their time and effort on the right things and able to, create wealth and, and joy in their life, which are two of the same. There's a certain like vibration about those people or, or tuning fork, which we're going to get into, I guess. But like, there's a certain focus and stuff that they're there and they're empowered. And mm-hmm. those people would then recreate wealth again, being in that mindset versus someone who's not. Because they're in was... a, because they have an abundant mindset. Correct. Yeah. And they're able to, the abundant mindset, but also just able to focus and and work around their currency to mm-hmm. create create more things. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest shift for me happened when I realized what money actually represented, which was our currency, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. like energetics, the energetics behind it. It kind of it made me a not afraid of it. I realized that I was actually putting I was being disempowered i was disempowering myself by being avoidant and um i'm appreciative to you for you know the fact that we could even like have the dialogue <laughs> to begin with and that you were willing to like look at your own limiting beliefs and then we could come together and like have these discussions about it but what i found interesting also was like when we get into discuss abundance and how abundance means so much more than money because again, money is just a representation. It's an it's representation of energetics. Mm-hmm. And money isn't real. It's just something we've all agreed on that represents value. And so abundance goes well beyond money. And then when we started looking like abundance of, I mean, we can just, what's abundance for you? Let's define that. And then we can move on to manifesting. Yeah, I think to add to that comment, I would say that money is kind of the byproduct. So it's not get the money and then you'll be abundant and happy. It's like if you're abundant and happy, happy in, in your space and, and, you know, in tune with what you're supposed to do in life, you can't help but having the money part come and reflect that because you're going to be flowing with currency as long as you're managing it. So I think... Because it's about energy and it's about frequency, actually. Right. And this and, is what gets us into the manifesting. And abundance, abundance is, is happy and joy, right? Like I've seen people with lots of money that are miserable 
and they're not feeling abundant and it cuts them off from, you know, going further. So it's, it's, I don't think, you know, money, money is neither evil nor, um, good. It's just, it's just a measurement of currency. That's all mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. It's just how you, how you use it. So let's get into abundance and manifesting. Okay. So one of the things, like I was saying, like Mark and I, like we totally geek out on this as a couple and we've done some Joe Dispenza's stuff. We've done uh, Bob Proctor. Like there's like several teachers, metaphysical and, you know, teachers around this that we have listened to and taken their courses and stuff. And so we've had lots of discussion around this, but our, again, we are speaking from our experience, like our known experience. And we're not like, you know, out there teaching this necessarily. When it comes to manifesting, I think like my favorite approach has been the one that we've learned through Joe Dispenza and then also like Bob Proctor. And so you can go Google those names and, and look them up. But what I appreciate about them both is I feel like they're both saying the exact same thing. They're just saying it in different ways. And a lot of the teachers that are out there that talk about a, a lot of this me metaphysical stuff, a lot of them are saying the same thing. But what I do appreciate about um, Joe Dispenza, especially, is that I feel like like when it comes to changing your reality or like manifesting, a lot of people think that it's like, I'll just make a vision board and I'll put it out there and I'll just think good thoughts and it'll come. <laughs> Yes, I do believe that our thoughts create our reality, but I don't think that it's that simple. I don't think it's that like, if I think about a car crash right now, that tomorrow I'm going to walk out or this afternoon I'm going to walk out and get in a car crash. Like, I don't think that that's how <laughs> we create our reality. Like, I don't think it's that simplistic. Otherwise it would be complete chaos and nothing would work. I do love the idea of using our body as a tuning fork because I do think, yeah. And that everything is about frequency and um, we'll explain what that means in a second. But this idea that like, like attracts like and purposely changing your thoughts and your beliefs and raising your frequency. So that way you are attracting things that are an energetic match. I do think that that is legit. So I don't think that we need to go around necessarily like policing our thoughts 24 seven, but I do think there is something to be said for what we dwell on. And, you know, like the the dialogue or the narrative that we have running in our minds 24 seven and how that creates our frequency. There is a, a thing called the emotional guidance scale and it has different emotions um, register at different frequencies. So for example, like joy and love, hopefulness, those are all high frequency emotions mm -hmm. versus fear, shame, anger. Those are all lower vibrational frequencies. Um, and these are scientifically measured, you know, like emotions, emotion, energy in motion, they're all frequencies, it's all energy. And we are energetic beings. And so if I'm walking around, like really pissed off and angry all the time, and I have a narrative um, in my mind, like a greatest hit that I keep playing that the world is against me, or I'm ruminating on anger and resentment, then I'm going to be like living in that frequency, right? And therefore I will be attracting things of similar frequency versus if I am in general, like a happy-go-lucky person, I'm trying to focus on positive and like that sort of thing, you're going to attract things of a higher frequency. So I know that's a very simplistic way of explaining it, but just 
you know, for the purpose of this conversation, I'm going to keep it simple. I do think that, like, I love the work of Joe Dispenza and what he was saying is like, it's important, yes, to have positive thoughts, but it's pairing the positive thought with an elevated emotion. That is where things get really powerful and doing that consistently and intentionally. And so some of the work that we have been doing as a couple is a, we've come together and decided like, what is it as a couple that we want to create? What is our common vision? What are the individual things that we want to accomplish for ourselves? But what are we doing as a family? And then meditating on that. And so seeing that almost like it's, you know, it's called visioneering, but it's this idea of like, you have a vision and you're meditating on that vision and it's, you know, you're having the vision and you're having the thought, right. Of what it is that you're wanting to create, but then you're pairing that with the elevated emotion and actually visualizing yourself living that out. How does it feel? How does it feel to be, you know, on that trip or how does it feel Mm -hmm. to be fit and healthy? How does it feel to have healed yourself of that illness? How does it feel to be in your new boat? (laughs) Whatever it is that you want to envision for yourself, but like you actually see yourself doing that. And so by pairing the thought with the elevated emotion, like our body is energetic, uh, everything is frequency. And if you're vibrating at that frequency, you are then going to attract it. So it's kind of like the thought sends out the um, signal and the body holding that frequency of the emotion of what it feels like to be in that situation is what magnetizes and brings that to you. Does that make yeah, sense? And he, and he, to add to that, he also talks about how, if you're, if you're living in the past on a negative situation or whatever, then you'll only bring more of that. Whereas, like you said, if you're envisioning something that's positive, that is abundant or empowering for you, that's in the future, if you embody the emotion in the present, then the future becomes now. Mm-hmm. So then you you become that thought and person, and then you're you're tuned into that frequency. And then once you're tuned into that frequency, I I interpret it as a lens. But basically, like if you turn in a radio frequency, you're on that radio. You hear all the music that comes in on that wavelength. If you're tuned into a certain emotion and and frequency you have a lens in, in your in your brain where things that line up with that vision is what you'll start seeing. Mm-hmm. So in subconsciously or consciously, those things start attracting to you. And that's, that's how I picture it. So if you're saying, you know, let's go real simple. You want to envision yourself in a nice big boat. Reality is currently in this moment, your bank account doesn't have the money to pay for it, but that's not the issue. The issue is feeling you know, being in that boat, what's, what's going to be amazing about it and how you can get closer to that feeling and emotion. And then things will happen in your day to day that will bring you closer to having that boat in your life. That will bring you the opportunities to create that. Yeah. I mean, this is probably a bad analogy, but that's, that's kind of the thought around it is that if you're in tune with that, then you have the vibration around it, things that would line up with that event happening or that vision happening can't help but gravitate towards you and make that happen. Yeah. It's and like the may... guitar string, guitar string analogy. Um, mm-hmm. And then that's when like all the synchronicities and stuff start happening and life starts like bringing those things to you. So the guitar string analogy is this, like I, I heard this example and I thought it was really great where, you know, if you have a tuning fork 
that say, you know, is for the note of C, right? For C, like middle C or whatever. And you go in and you like ding that tuning fork in a like a guitar store, all of the strings for C will vibrate. And it's this idea that if you are vibrating at a certain frequency, you will then attract circumstances and things that are at that same vibrational frequency and you will begin to pull them in. You will be a magnet for that. So yeah. did you want to add to that? Did I explain that correctly? Yeah, no, I, I do. And, and I had this analogy pop into my head this morning as I was, I was thinking about our discussion. On the flip side, if you're, if you're then the person that's trying to be attracted, then it's like, I'm sure most people have had this and maybe it's not normal, but I know you and I have had this where someone can enter a room you don't know them. You haven't talked to them. You haven't made eye contact, nothing. You're in a room full of people at a party or event or whatever. They can walk into the room and and you can almost immediately feel that there's something magnetic about them and they're drawing mm. you to you and they're very positive or the opposite where it's that's like, how I oh, felt when that's what I felt when we met. Right. We were an energetic match. I saw you and it was like. I was attuning fork at a certain frequency and then you were like, ding, like, it was yeah, like there you, we are. You're probably a high C and I was a low C though. <laughs> like, no, no. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, no, it's just, it's the flip side of it. And sometimes I've, I've had moments in my life where I've met someone where socially we weren't connecting, but I was like, ah, that person I'm going to be friends with at some point in my life. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's not like some freaky, like hunt them down and like stalk them type thing, but it's like, you know, like I really vibe with that person. Like people use different words to describe it, but then when you actually do connect or have a chance to, you know, cross paths during your lifetime, you kind of already known that that person, you know, is, is going to be a good friend. So it's kind of, again, back to the vibration and frequency, like certain people have certain vibes about them and if you look at it from the standpoint of like, okay, well, the people that are able to create abundance and have good things happening and are very positive and, you know, have all this light around them, what type of person are they? And how do they hold their frequency versus other people who are very dark and, and shun things away and, and just seem to kind of like step over themselves and not, not move on in life? You know, where's their mindset and frequency and vibration level? It's just well, a comparison. Yeah. I mean, I guess the point is that you can change your note. <laughs> like you yeah, can, you can, yeah. you can change your frequency. It's not like you're, it's not like you're set like, Oh, I'm a D and I'm never going to be a C. Like it, that's not true. Like we, this is part of the sovereignty piece of understanding that you can change your frequency. And by changing your frequency, that is how you change your life because then you are manifesting a completely different reality. And so you know, one of the points that I want to make, and this is like, let's get back into like the abundance and, and manifesting and and like all Mm. that. Like one of the things is when it comes to manifesting abundance, what we have learned and what we're still learning is that it's really about living that future now and being in that frequency on a daily basis. And as you do, you're pulling and you're gravitating situations and people and things that are then giving you the ability to create that reality in real time and bringing it. I'm like, and by doing that, that's how you make the quantum leaps. That's how you create from the field, how you Mm -hmm. create from source. Okay. So just as an example, 
to like to show one of these, like to show this in action. Okay. So Mark <laughs> and I, we're going to share a couple of stories. So I have, this is actually a really funny story. Mark and I had a vision of spending our summer away and part of that being in Europe. And we'd been meditating on this like vision and like, you know, what we want it to look like, how we want it to feel and like, you know, doing the visioneering process. And part of it for me, like I was thinking one day as I like, cause I see it as like a movie in my head and I'm running it through, like I'm running the vision through my head of like what this looks like, what it feels like. And I was thinking one day, wouldn't it be nice if we went, cause we were flying to England from Canada because we were in Canada visiting family and and while we were there, I was like, you know, doing this process of visioneering and like I do on a regular basis. And I was like, wouldn't it be nice? Cause we were doing an overnight flight from Montreal to Heathrow, London, England. I'm like, wouldn't it be nice if we had first class? Like we didn't have first class tickets. We had economy tickets, but I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if we somehow got upgraded to first class? Like, wouldn't that be so cool? I have no idea how that would happen, but wouldn't that be amazing? Now, I just want to back up a little bit and bring in a little bit of Bob Proctor because Bob, um, in one of his lessons that Mark and I were listening to one day, he talks about the difference between A, B, and C type goals. And A type goals are kind of like a goal that you set that you know, like A, you believe is possible and B, you know exactly how to do it, like how you would get there, how Mm -hmm. you would make that happen. And it doesn't really stretch you, right? It's like, doesn't stretch you at all. You just like, you're, it's kind of like a lateral move. There's no growth required for that to meet that goal. Then you have B type goals, which is, yes, I believe it's possible. I can imagine how that would happen. I could see like kind of some of the steps I would have to kind of work it out. It's not a lateral move, but it's not like a, like shoot to the moon. It's just kind of a like, yeah, I can still kind of like see the steps, a bit of a stretch, a bit of a stretch, but I think I could do it. Then there's C type goals, which is, I don't know how the heck that's going to happen. In fact, it makes me a little bit nervous and excited to believe that could even like be true. That could be a possibility for me. I don't know how it's going to happen, but that would be amazing. So you don't know how you're going to get there. You don't know how you're going to get from like this point to that but you believe that it's possible and you're just going to put it out there and see and allow the universe kind of to conspire and to work out the details to bring it to you. So back to the first class tickets. So I'm meditating (laughs) and I'm doing this visioneering process and I'm thinking to myself as I'm like seeing us like, you know, making the journey to England and having our summer in Europe and all these things. And I'm visioneering and I'm doing it and I'm feeling it. And I'm like, Oh, wouldn't it be so amazing if we did our overnight flight and we were in first class with air Canada, because we have those pods where I could actually just lay out and have a nice sleep. And like, it would be so great. And I just, you know, put it out there, put the cosmic order into the universe. And that's that. And I thought about it a few times. It's not that I like harped on this or like, felt any scarcity around it. It was just like, wouldn't that be so amazing? And this is how that would feel. And oh, it feels so great. So along comes the day that we are leaving Montreal and we're flying to England. And and on that day, I had thought about it again. I'm like, wouldn't it be so amazing if somehow we got upgraded? I don't know how, but wouldn't that be so cool? So we're on our flight and we're about an hour and a half into the flight and we're all cozied up 
we were sleeping actually at this point, our flight was like at 10 o'clock at night. So, you know, it's like almost midnight after midnight and we had all fallen asleep. The plane is quiet. The lights are dim. And for whatever reason, I happened to wake up and I had an eye mask and earplugs on. Anyways, I happened to wake up and I hear over the intercom, like the flight attendant saying, is there a medical professional on board? Is there a doctor on board? And now Mark knows, like I have been on several flights where this has happened to me, where I have been the only doctor. I think you're up to five now. (laughs) Yeah. This is, it was the fifth time this has happened to me. And I was just like, I was tired and I'm like, oh, please let there be someone else. (laughs) Like I really don't want, I just want to sleep. And I just waited and no one else responded. And I thought, oh crap. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, well, so I, you know, pushed the little button for the flight attendant she comes and actually it was a he. And I said, hi, I'm, you know, I'm a naturopathic doctor. Is there a medical emergency I can help? And they're like, yes, yes, please come. Now there was a woman who had gone unconscious and uh, like she had lost consciousness and it was this whole thing. And so I jump into action and, you know, emergency med, I'm trained in emergency medicine, you know, jump in and I'm helping out and doing my thing. Anyways, she regains consciousness and, but they had moved her to first class and put her so that she could lay out in this pod. And um, the flight attendant, his name is Jonathan. He turns to me once she's stable and I'm monitoring her vitals and we've been in contact with the people on the ground and like the whole thing. Anyways, and she's stable and he turns to me and he says, are you traveling alone? I said, no, I'm here with my husband and my son. And he said, would you like to go and get them and bring them up to first class and you guys can stay here. And I just kind of laughed to myself and I thought, oh, isn't that funny? So I went back, I got Mark and Odin, I got our suitcases, got everything. We brought it all up to first class and there suddenly we were in first class on our overnight flight <laughs> to England. Now, A, <laughs> it's crazy how that worked out. I would have never have thought that, um, obviously I didn't wish any harm on anybody. The fact that it happened via a medical emergency for somebody. And she was totally fine. Just FYI, the woman was, you know, she was fine and, and she, she's perfectly healthy and okay after the fact but I just thought that was so funny so here we are and as I was sitting there laying back in the pod with my feet up in first class (laughs) and I just laughed and thought to myself this is exactly how I thought it would feel so like and I just went back into that feeling of and I closed my eyes and you know had a little nap and just thinking like this is so funny and but it was just such a tangible example of of this process so anyways, I think, I think too, the universe was playing with you a bit because it knew you're trying to work this out. <laughs> so well, it's for like, me, it's a, you just need a little bit more specific. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I thought of is like, I would, next time I got to be a little bit more specific and be like, I would like to do it where there's not a medical emergency involved. That would be great. But it, it, for me, it was just, and it was reiterating how powerful we are right? How powerful we are when we have an intentional thought, a vision, and you pair that with an emotion. And again, like the electromagnetic field of the heart and the mind being in coherence and how magnetic that is and how powerful that is in sending out, you know, the signal to the universe and, and, and gravitating and like magnetizing that reality back to you. 
I just think it's such a, a fun illustration of that. But I do think that's how it works. So Bob Proctor, he's one of the teachers that we love, and he just passed away a year and a half ago. But I think he is one of the, the greatest examples of this and like creating, like manifesting. And you can go look up all kinds of his stuff online. But also he has like some great courses that he's created with Sandy Gallagher. It's his business partner. Anyways, the point is that Bob talks about, you know, we create from source. And so source is actually our source of abundance. It's not money. Money isn't abundance. It is a representation of that. Um, We're really creating from source and everybody has the same equal opportunity to create from source, right? It's not like, you, you know, if you were born in, you know, in a small town in Alaska, it's not like you have less of a chance than someone born in New York city or someone in Argentina, like whatever. It's all, there's this energy that's flowing in and through us. And just because we're energetic beings, there's like this life force energy that's flowing in and through us and how we use that and how we attune ourselves and use our body as a tuning fork. That is how we use that's true power actually. And then that's like how we gravitate and, and attract things and become magnetic. A lot of this work is about healing your nervous system too, so that you can be in a calm, relaxed state and um, not be in like fight or flight and like lower frequencies. So I think that manifesting, yes, your thoughts are important, but your emotions and how you're feeling, your energetic frequency is just as important, if not more. Like for example, like Joe Dispenza's work and HeartMath, like the Institute, HeartMath Institute, they talk a lot about coherence between the mind and the body or the mind and the heart and the heart, the electromagnetic frequency of the heart being like so much greater than the mind. And so when it comes to attracting and manifesting that coherence between your thoughts and your emotions or your mind and your heart is very, very important. And that's what makes you magnetic. So yes, I think thoughts are important and changing your thoughts is important. However, so is your emotions. And we can talk more about like how you change your thoughts and change your behavior in a minute. So when it comes to like what we're doing and the process, like the practice that we have, I guess, I would say what we're really focusing on is this idea of like visioneering. And we have this vision of what we want to create. And yes, we are being aware of our limiting beliefs around it. We're changing our thoughts and we'll talk more about that in a second, but we are holding the vision. We're seeing it, picturing it almost like a movie in our minds, meditating on it, and then partnering that with the elevated emotion of what it feels like to live that now, like seeing it play out. And then bringing that into our daily life. So yeah, seeing the vision and then feeling what that feels like uh, to have that as a reality. So seeing ourselves like, you know, whatever it might be for you listening that you're wanting to create, like what would that feel like? And, and pairing that thought with the elevated emotion. Because I think one of the most important things to understand is that we are conscious creators of our reality or that we are creators of our reality, whether we're conscious of it or not. So for example, you can consciously create your future or you can unconsciously create your future. And so unconscious would be like just not understanding how powerful you are 
and how your thoughts and emotions are playing out and helping you create your reality versus understanding that and claiming your power to do that. And then intentionally using your thoughts and your emotions to create your reality. So we are co-creators with the divine. It's whether we are consciously creating or unconsciously creating. And then to consciously create is to be aware of your thoughts and, you know, focusing on your intention, setting your intentions. What is it that you're wanting to create and pairing that with the elevated emotion and doing that on a regular basis? Is there anything you want to add to that, Mark, before we get into? I think one thing is, is to part of that process. And this is probably one of my bigger uh, hiccups or things that I have a challenge with is I'm more of a logical mind and I have to see all the steps and you kind of have to release that in order to have the emotions and feeling kind of take over because the way the way the vision and, and the, the outcome comes about isn't always clear as it's happening mm-hmm. until it happens and then when it happens you're like oh man like that was all coming anyways and and I had no idea and and I think you had some good good analogies to that but it it's basically your stories it, it, it's kind of you can you can stump yourself from getting major progress by expecting certain things to happen in a certain order for that to happen but sometimes things that don't happen is actually the path that needs to happen for the thing that you want to come about so i think it's kind of releasing some expectation of how things are going to roll out but know that the vision and and the emotion that you're, you're tuning into will come about. It has to. I think that's part of the mystery of it is like you can hold an intention and you can see yourself living that out and have the vision and do all of that. But as far as how that reality comes to be and the little details and how it's orchestrated, I think that's where surrender comes in. And like, I don't feel that I need to micromanage the universe right? Like I can hold an intention of uh, this is what I would love to happen. And I can hold that loosely. Like I can have the desire for something and then I can release it and allow that to work out how, like I can allow it to be orchestrated, how, you know, the intelligence of the universe sees fit, whether you call that God, like it doesn't matter because if you hold it too tight, you almost like suffocate, Mm-hmm. suffocate it right and, and it's also knowing that the universe is playful i think i think the one example and I'm it has is, your back and it has and, your back like what is it einstein's like quote the most important decision you will ever make is whether or not you live in a benevolent or a kind universe and so one of the things that i had come up for me when we like started doing a lot of this work was i had a limiting belief that the universe is out to get me And I think like there was always an opposing force and, you know, Mm -hmm. that like the desires that I have, there'd be an opposing force to that, that I somehow had to like force or I had to micromanage and like, it was fear. It was like a very fearful belief that I had to like, like had a stranglehold on my desires because I couldn't trust the universe wanted that for me. That's interesting. It's interesting that our blocks are kind of in our wheelhouse. So my my block is my logical block it was keeping me from tuning into abundance and yours is an emotional block <laughs> yeah. of keeping you from abundance. So we're learning from each other, I guess. Let's actually just talk a little bit about limiting beliefs and changing our thoughts. There's, um, you know, the mindset wheel and I don't know who created the mindset wheel, 
but I first saw it through Ra Goddess, R-H-A Goddess. That's her name. Anyways, and it was, and I've seen many adaptations of it, but the general idea of the mindset wheel is you have your beliefs, which then lead to your thoughts, which then create your emotions or generate your emotions, which then create your experiences and like your reality. And then that reinforces those original beliefs. And so it's this like, that's like how we create our reality. And so a lot of the work that we have done around manifestation has been going back and looking at limiting beliefs. And that's a lot of the work. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time around limiting beliefs. And that's the work that I've brought into like the, the nest and the Phoenix and the programs that I run. Cause I think for so many things, that's the root cause, you know, like if you want to um, change your life, you want to change your well-being, your health, whatever it might be, you've got to work backwards from your experience. You got to like, look at your ex- experience, create awareness around it and work backwards and say, okay, well, what am I feeling? What are my thoughts surrounding this? What are the beliefs What are the root beliefs, like the root cause beliefs that are causing this to be my reality? And so when it comes to the manifestation and we're looking at like, well, what emotions am I feeling? What frequency am I vibrating at? And then what are the thoughts and the beliefs that are feeding that and creating that? So, you know, that's the work, I think. So vision boards are amazing, (laughs) you know, as far Mm -hmm. as like helping you create that vision and helping you get intentional and clear about what it is that you want. However, that's not the be all end all to manifesting. I think it's much like it's way too simplistic. It's like not just about like putting a Porsche on a board or a yacht or whatever it might be. And then just hoping and wishing it's actually doing the work and creating awareness and excavating and doing a deep dive into like, what are the living beliefs that I have and what emotions am I marinating in on a daily basis? What is the narrative that's operating in my mind? What are the greatest hits that are playing on a regular basis and how can I shift and change those? And that's work, but it's Mm -hmm. extremely rewarding work as the two of us have found out yeah it's it's becoming more conscious of your thoughts mm-hmm. is, is the biggest step and it's hard to do and that's that's the practice part of it the, what i oh sorry what were you gonna say i was just gonna say that that's that's always has that always has to be worked on um it doesn't just come and then you're you're doing it like to be conscious of your thought and you're and aware of kind of the situation that you're in and how you're seeing things mm-hmm. so like you i think in, in my view just you're describing that wheel i feel like there's steps within each step there's conscious efforts that you can do to change that wheel into a more abundance and powerful existence. And my, my example would just be like, even your experience, like two people can have the exact same experience, like their exact same place, sorry, but their experiences are completely different. So like some people will have a silver lining kind of viewpoint, um, you know, Pollyanna type thing where they just, Oh, well, that was amazing. You know, I still got this and this was great and I'm happy and blah, blah, blah. And then someone else would be like, ah, this was cold. This is horrible. And blah, blah, blah. Think about the negatives. Mm-hmm. So like, I think it's, it's just two with your It's experience. all about perception. There, there's a perception level to it. I mean, you have to live in reality, but if you truly feel that perception and, and get a positive emotion from it, then that is your reality. Right. So yeah, I think that's, that's something too, that also takes, a lot of work. I think, you know, just to kind of wrap this up, 
um, and bring it back to like money, marriage and manifesting. I think one of the most powerful things that we have found as a couple is what happens when, okay, it's, it's a powerful thing when an individual is doing this visioneering process or this like manifesting process when you have like, they hold a vision they ha- or they have a thought, they pair that thought and that vision with an elevated emotion. And then they get into the practice of meditating and doing that daily and creating their reality in that way. That's very, very powerful. What's mm-hmm. even more powerful is when you have two people coming together to do that. Um, I just think that there is something, I know, you know, Jesus said like when two, two or more are gathered, there I am I'm in the midst of them. Now I'm, I'm not going to get all religious or anything, but I think that one mm-hmm. of the things I get from that quote is that there is something really sacred when you have two people that come together and they're working with that like whether you want to call it Holy spirit, life force, energy, whatever it is. Like, I mean, if you think about it, when a man and a woman come together, they have the ability to create life. That's pretty freaking powerful. Yeah. Now you come together with a shared vision and what you're wanting to create and you're both meditating and you're both vibrating at the same frequency and you're putting out to the universe. Like it amplifies things. It does amplify. And that's, that's actually the, being the analytical science mind, why well, your science as well, I suppose. But when you when you have two waves of the same length at the same time, they amplify, they double. Mm-hmm. So you're literally becoming that much more powerful in what you're putting out there. Yeah. And you can attract bigger things, you have a stronger signal because you're working together. Whereas if you have different waves, they end up canceling each other out at certain mm-hmm. points and becomes incoherent. So then it's not you're not in sync. Yeah. So if we were to kind of like summarize and bring everything home to like end this discussion, I would say like kind of like the biggest take home points were that marriage for us is about having a common vision, being two sovereign individuals coming together with, you know, we have our own personal goals, but we have shared goals and a vision. And we are, you know, in manifesting that it's about, you know, both coming together, meditating having pairing our thought or that vision with elevated emotion and doing that on a regular basis and also working through the limiting beliefs that are creating the things that you don't want, whether that's around abundance, money, your relation, whatever it might be. We use the example of money and how we had limiting beliefs. We went in, we, we dove into them and worked through those in an open and honest way, a supportive way uh, with each other. And then again, just going back to that mindset wheel, the beliefs leading to the thoughts which were generating the emotion, which was then creating the experience. We kind of like went backwards and we excavated and uncovered, like we don't like this reality that's being created. How can we change that? And it was uncovering those root limiting beliefs, changing those through, you know, the regular work, like the mindset work that we do, but then pairing that with elevated emotion. Like what do we, what do we want to feel? And mm-hmm. what do we want to create? What do we want our life to look like? And how powerful that is doing that as an individual, but yet it, it can be amplified when you're doing it together as a couple. Yeah, well said. Yeah, so that's our discussion. Thank you so much, Mark, for being here. Yeah, we'll have you on again sometime. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of The Nest Podcast. If you're a woman who's interested in reclaiming your health and well-being holistically, then I'd love to work with you. My passion is helping women reconnect with their intuition and sacred feminine blueprint so they can heal their bodies. If any of the topics from this episode resonated with you and you'd like to know more about how you can work with me, then check out my programs via my website link below in the show notes or pop over to my Instagram to say hello. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.